Welcome everyone, my name is Shannon Brown, I'm a Senior Analyst at Standards Australia and your host of the Sets of Standard podcast, a podcast where we speak to industry experts about current and emerging industries and technologies to better understand the role of standards in benefiting the Australian community. On today's episode, we delve into the release of Standards Australia's Digital Twin White Paper, which we acknowledge the contributions from the Australian Commonwealth Government in making this happen. The Digital Twin White Paper was co-authored by two of today's guests, Adam Beck and Gavin Cottrell. Adam Beck is Head of Digital Urbanism at Enna.Hub, which is an Indira company, one of Australia's largest digital infrastructure companies. He's also Chair of Standards Australia's Digital Twin Working Group, Co-Chair of the Internet of Things Alliance Smart Places and Infrastructure Workstream, and a member of the Digital Twin Partnership Leadership Team. We're also joined by Gavin Cottrell, who is the Founder and Managing Director of GC3 Digital, a digital twin advisory and consultancy business. He has developed and led international and national digital twin programs. He's also a member of the Standards Australia's Digital Twin Working Group, the Internet of Things Alliance Smart Places and Infrastructure Workstream, and the Digital Twin Partnership Leadership Team. We're also joined by George Finnis. George is Standards Australia's Engagement Manager in the Communications, Information Technology and E-Commerce Service Sectors. As Engagement Manager, George promotes both national and international standards development opportunities by engaging stakeholders from across industry, government and small business. George also represents Standards Australia at various international forums such as ISO, IEC, JCT1 to ensure Australia is involved in critical and emerging technological trends. Adam, can you just, for those who aren't familiar with Digital Twin, what is it and what are some of its applications? I think there's broad acknowledgement that the overarching idea, definition, concept is a digital replica of something that's real or physical or, you know, a process as well. So there's that sort of copy, that digital copy. And I think that's pretty well known. Yeah. I think the more important, important sub-question under that is, what does it do? Mm. And when we ask that question and we unpack that, we find a whole series of capabilities that are really powerful and they help activate data. So, you know, data integration, data analysis, data simulation and visualisation, these are all a range of capabilities that sort of roll up under, I think, the idea of a digital twin But then there's also one that gets left out often, which is the actual connection itself. It's it's no good having a digital replica if you can't have data pass from the real into the digital and data can be transferred at different rates and levels of fidelity. So it could be real-time IoT sensors that are delivering information in real time. Mm -hmm. Equally, I suppose it could be what we would call slow data as well, ABS statistics that we get every sort of six or so years. So having that connection, making sure data can feed from the real, the physical into the digital representation, that's an important capability on its own. So when you think of evolving telecommunications networks like 5G, for example, where latency and fidelity just reach you know, eye-watering new levels, Mm. you can see that it's a whole sub-conversation and topic to unpack. But generally speaking, it's a digital copy of something real, physical, and it's got a bunch of capabilities that really help us light up data 
yeah. you know, generate those insights and mm-hmm. visualize them so we can make better decisions. That's the, that's a theory. That's the broad concept. In terms of applications, what we're finding is I think there's certainly been a history of kind of, I won't say government, but, you know, also private sector industries that have really relied on testing ideas, simulating yeah. things before they actually go mm. and do it. Of course, NASA was where the concept first came from. Yeah. So we've certainly seen applications in you know aerospace yeah. uh, and we've seen great, I think, inroads in private sectors mm-hmm. like mining, yeah. for example, you know, where hyper-efficiencies are critical. But in the government space now, it's a real interesting range of applications that we're seeing historically built assets, okay. uh, the building sector, transportation sector, mm. so, you know, infrastructure and asset management, facilities management, stalwarts in the digital twin sort of space. But we've now got local authorities, local councils, that level of government who are in the business of service provision of the most basic things, you know, like libraries and fixing mm. potholes and, you know, cleaning drains and emptying, you know, rubbish, yeah. for example, those classic municipal services. We're now starting to see use cases where they can really benefit from the capabilities under that digital twin umbrella. So every day it's broadening. And I think that's a really interesting point that we don't want to lose in the digital twin mm-hmm. conversation. It's not just for big asset owners, yeah. private sector organizations that you know are dealing in billions of dollars of, of real estate assets, local authorities around Australia, 530 plus local authorities, many of them on the verge of going broke. Local government only receives about 36 to 3.8% of all taxable income in the country. So they've got very little public funds to do what seem to be more and more things that the community is demanding. So it's a level of government that absolutely could reap huge benefits from digital twin and the capabilities. It's a really exciting, evolving field. And I think it demonstrates that those capabilities and digital mm. twin is sector neutral. Yep. It's geography neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, it's scale neutral. I think there's a lot of on-roads and on-ramps for all types of organisations to, to get into digital twin. So then looking at all those organizations within Australia or just looking in general within Australia, what is the current state of Digital Twin in Australia? Really good question. <laughs> really good question. Because what we found is that the spatial sector have, have taken a bit of a lead. Okay. Here. So we've got Digital Twin Victoria, $38 million investment, looking about in terms of how they can leverage off the big build going on in, in Victoria. You've got the spatial uh, New South Wales, which is live New South Wales here, yep. $40 million project. You've got Queensland government from a state government looking at their leveraging around Southeast Queensland uh, digital workbench. Yep, yep. And we're seeing in WA as well with Landgate starting to focus uh, on that. Then what we're starting to see is agencies starting to look about what that means for them with like Transport for New South Wales, Department of Transport in, in Victoria, Sydney Water as well here. So you're starting to see individual departments, companies starting to look at how can we deliver assets better? How can we operate them? How can we predict what's going to happen in the yeah. future as well? Then you've got another row below, which we're actually seeing some really interesting work in terms of local government. And that's really focusing on in terms of more f- from a, a services perspective. So like Adam said, a lot of the focus is around asset 
twins. Mm. But what we're starting to see with cities is thinking about how can they deliver services better. Yep. So where we're at at the moment, we're reliant on people within those organizations to think, okay, we need to do something better with our data. Yep. They've spent a lot of money over previous years in creating data sets. So whether that's through IoT, whether that's through BIM, SCADA, smart bins, smart lights. Now what we're starting to see is that organizations are realizing, okay, we can leverage off that data by visualizing, integrating, connect that to support better decision making. So we're still quite early, but there's yep. some really positive moments. And I think what I'm bored the most of is the amount of business case work that's happening. And okay. that means investment. Mm. So there's a lot of top down uh, initiatives. So that means it's funds and growth to mm. actually do stuff. Yeah. If I can yep. simplify it, <laughs> as, as opposed to whereas a lot of other technology initiatives are, are quite bottom up, discrete right. funding. Yep. Very difficult to, to do. So there's a lot of support then, is that what you're kind of yeah, saying? Well, yeah, well, terms, and I think and that, that signals to the market as well to, to mobilize and it stimulates the, the market as well. Government is a fantastic uh, procurer. Yeah. It's that pull and the supply chain can push. So that will stimulate activity within the tech sector, yep. within the, the consulting sector to deliver on those services. It gives them that confidence nearly that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot more now investment. We're seeing a lot more technology being developed mm. and opportunities to, to deliver on that. So the role of government's really important, important. here in terms yep. of how it generates the, the the marketplace. And we struggle here because we're such a massive country, but low population, we're yep. fragmented with three layers of government. It's quite a, a well-pedaled excuse why we can't do things consistently. Right. But there is a huge opportunity. So rather than thinking about challenges, huge mm. opportunity moving forward. We're seeing a lot of jigsaw pieces coming together. Yeah. It just needs more leadership to... To, and, and to, to grow on that. So government are obviously seeing the benefits of Digital Twin. Adam, what are other benefits for Australia with utilising Digital Twin technologies? I think one of the areas that shows a lot of promise is the continued commitment by state and local government to engage the community. And visualisation is an early on-ramp in that regard, which is a core digital twin capability. So I think we will see more and more creative, multi-dimensional representations of what's going on in our city or what could go on that are going to be really powerful for engagement. As IoT and 5G and our ability to transfer more fast data, uh, the types of data sets that you can bring in. It's not just sort of ABS statistics or the energy consumption of an asset. You know, we're talking about, you know, 250,000 Instagram posts during the State of Origin Grand Final, where you have 40,000 people expressing all different types of things. Yeah. So fast data sets like that, that's just one example. Mm. Imagine bringing that level of engagement and emotion and what people think and feel into our decisions as opposed to sort of static representations and, you know, ABS data says X, Y, or Z. Like, I, I think it really takes us to a new level of capability for engagement yeah. with key stakeholders. That for me is an exciting one. And yeah. I think one that isn't typically around the table when it comes to digital twin yeah. conversations. So that's going to open up 
a whole heap of multi-sector conversations now. It's not just asset owners, operators, built environment. You know, we've got to bring the planning community mm. along. New Zealand is spending a lot of time having a conversation around digital twins for physical landscapes. Okay. For the ocean. Oh. Yeah. So, because is that, is that well, just a digital twin is a digital replica of anything that's physical. Yeah. Right. So, uh, we know that there's a digital twin for the Australian airspace being yep. created or has been created recently. So, you can start to see that the concept can be applied anywhere in many different ways. Yeah. Um, and with those capabilities, I mean, you know, it's quite exciting to think what we can mm. sort of copy in a digital perspective. And then as long as there's that connection yep. and data yes. is flowing, which is a big assumption mm. because data's hard, it's often invisible, it's often expensive, and as we know, it's at risk a lot of the time from, yep. you know, sabotage and other things. So, you know, when we talk about data and lighting it up and fueling the twin, it's easy to say, but there's a lot of pieces that need Behind to be it. put into place. So. Yeah, we, we haven't even scratched the surface on the applications, the use cases, and how it can really help in different ways. And so you're saying that it can be utilised across, you know, in various aspects and various ways. What sectors do you think that would benefit the most or businesses would benefit the most from using Digital Twin? Is there anyone that would surprise people or is it a general thing that any business or sector well, would? I'll, I'll give you one that's surprised. So we're currently working on the business case for a wine region. Okay. In, in sounds like a great job, doesn't it? It sounds doing a, <laughs> doing a, doing a, great, a digital twin business case for a wine region, but that is about economic development. How do they streamline investment? How do they streamline yep. planning decisions? What they want to do is activate the the region to bring more money in. Okay. So we've been uh, working with them to develop use cases around that. That just so happens it's a wine region. Yes. Um, but they're in terms of economic development, yep. investment, property, etc. How do they make quicker, faster decisions around uh, updating their property files, yep. as, as an example, or in some of the sounds area from a, a water quality perspective, it's understanding about managing the quality of the water there in terms of from a vinicultural or agriculture perspective. Yep. So a lot of people would think our oh, digital twin is about big, physical, big, hard kind of construction. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, initially Yeah, well, the, the reality is it's data. Yeah. It's there. To, what problem are you there to looking to solve? Yeah, and then looking about what the capabilities there can that can provide solutions to that. So a lot of people would like love that. Say, "Oh, Gavin, that sounds great." Going to wine region in the <laughs> go to Hunter Valley for a <laughs> yeah. weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but again, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, and a lot of people feel that digital twin is is a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. But needs to be inverted. You need to understand what are the current issues that you you have, and you can't deliver with your current technology stack. Okay. You need your good quality data. You need the capabilities then to deliver on that. And if you start talking it in that way with strategic owners, yep. in terms of they get to understand that. Use something similar. If I can, then go for a more non-sexy. Yeah. Example <laughs> is waste management. Okay. Yeah. So open up the annual budget for any local authority in this nation and in the top five spend items of public money, waste management will be up there along with fixing potholes. Mm -hmm. So local government in particular uh, have a lot of problems that need solutions and waste management, landfill monitoring and compaction uh, using drones to fly with 
incredible accuracy, yep. how landfill is being managed and the progress of filling pits and how much you can fit in there and be more efficient. We're talking sort of tens of millions of dollars a year potentially. Yep. Um, so not sexy at all, but the type of data that can come in real time to mm. help with problems like that in three dimensions, you know, managing you know, a- assets like yep. a landfill, huge opportunity. Yep. Yeah. In addition, to, if you look at the spend, the state governments, you, you see that education, health, infrastructure, you only look uh, to say, I think we were at an industry event earlier this morning and mm. uh, someone made the comment of we have $49 billion a year le- lack of productivity in terms of in the construction right. sector. So huge opportunities yes. there from a capital delivery mm-hmm. from operations and maintenance, better service delivery. So huge opportunities for from an infrastructure perspective and something that we're really good at here yep. is that we, we like to build yes. stuff. <laughs> yes. So yeah. any way that we can do better in terms of how we build stuff can only be a good thing. Our colleagues in the UK have what I'd call a lighthouse demonstration project where they're using digital twin to help with building resilience against natural, you know, events and disasters. And if Australia does anything well, it's getting inflicted upon by any, you know, number of different disasters. So I think, and we haven't even touched that one or really dug into that one from from an industry perspective. So you can sort of see that the applications, the use cases, the sectors, it's very early days, but it's such a transferable set of capabilities that... It's it's got huge potential, but it's is the kind of potential where you need people to have the knowledge to in terms of deploying it and people being able to actually utilize it themselves. Where do you see then standards playing a role in helping businesses and government and cross sector use digital twin in that sense? My position on standards is without standards, mm. anything will do, and that's not optimum. So yeah. we know that standards define what good looks like. Uh, it brings us together. It's it's the common language that we rally around. It's the common approaches that we adopt. And when we can bring in standardization into approaches and processes and industries, we've got a chance of scaling. Yep. So there's just low-hanging fruit benefits that come from standards. The digital twin marketplace, if mm. I can call it that, is currently lacking from standards. Not Not that we don't want standards. It's just standards take time and we need leadership and, you know, we, we, we need to prioritise. So work is underway, but every stakeholder I talk to, every event I go to or have been for the last sort of four or so years around Digital Twin, at one point or another, we end up at the standards conversation. Okay. I, I would almost say, controversially maybe, that 100% of stakeholders I talk to agree that we need standards in this area. What yeah. type of standards and which ones and how detailed, how far and wide for what mm. sectors, that's that's always, you know, a, a discussion to have. But standardization, we can't do this without standards. Yeah. That's that's the shorthand. Yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning in terms of standards play a different role at different parts of the life cycle with Okay. So what I mean by that is there's, if you look across the country, there's different types of application 
from a procurement perspective of yep. people procuring a digital twin, whether it's a strategy, a business case, scoping it out. So we're seeing a quite a fragmented approach in terms of and people within those organizations doing their level best in terms of procuring what they think is the right thing. Yep. They could do with a, some assistance to not have a, a cookie cutter approach, but have a, a bit of a high level framework in terms of, well, you should be thinking about one, two, three, four, five and answering those key questions mm. as opposed to doing their best and fragmented. And so I feel like there's a, there's a real opportunity there from a, that front end, that strategic perspective. Yep. We have lots of standards. It's the application okay. um, of them. And that's what some of the, the challenges that we face. I think it's also good to note that the value of standards development processes is industry engagement as well. Yeah. And I think Australia was more so on the receiving end okay. of those smart city standards. We, we weren't necessarily part of those processes. Okay. I, I have a little more confidence that with digital twins, given that the industry and community is mobilizing sort of now-ish. Yep. There is sort of some pretty optimal conditions and okay. elements in place that we could probably do it. But the development process mm. itself, itself becomes mm. a very powerful yeah. enabler of, yeah. of, of opportunity. Because I guess you, you mentioned about engagement. I guess, George, on an engagement at an international level, when we look at engaging the standards, why is it important that, that experts are involved in, in that process that, that Adam and Gavin were talking about? Well, it's a great point, and I think it's a great segue based on what you've just said, Adam, on the smart cities approach where we were on the receiving end rather than actually being involved. And I guess at a, at a really simple level, having Australian experts involved in international standardisation means that international standards, whether they're ISO standards, IEC standards, they have Australian input and they're standards that um, have an Australian perspective. Now, I guess people might be listening and saying, well, what's the importance of international standards when we've got Standards Australia that can develop AS standards? But I guess you've got to dig a little deeper into international standards and you realise that so much of global trade is linked to international standards. And I guess what international standards do is it, it creates a common language that we speak with the international community but also with our major trading partners. I think we need to be really involved in ISO, IEC, international processes, having our stakeholders engaged in international committees because I think the day will come where um, and if we're fair dinkum about Australia becoming a global player in this space, we've got to be speaking the same language as, as our major trading partners as, and as you know the, the global players in this space. I think that really talks to the, the value of international standards yeah. um, rather than Australian standard that might be partially linked to, yeah. to and, international standards. You know, to go further on that, George, where can Australia lead and propose and go forth internationally and others contribute. That's the, that's the other question or opportunity as well that we should, we should totally yeah. Yeah. grab. And yeah. the opportunities are endless. I've observed committees in artificial intelligence and blockchain and now with Digital Twin, I'm, I'm convinced and I've, I've seen the expertise we have at Standards Australia across academia and, and just industry broadly. We've got the expertise. I'm not, I don't think any of us around the table uh, believe we're lacking in that. I think it's just harnessing that, getting that expertise, taking it to the world stage and, and harnessing it to develop standards and work on, on tangible outcomes. So, yeah, so that's a really good point. I think the UK do that really well. You're spot on, George. We have fantastic expertise here. 
is how do we harness that? How do we bring that together and in, in terms of and look at it as a trade activity? Yeah. But industry also has to play a key role here in helping Standards Australia identify those opportunities. We we, yeah. we can't sort of say, hey, Standards Australia, it's your job to do everything and know what, mm-hmm. what is important and what's not. So this is where multi-sector collaboration and building a community is so critical. If we we think that we need to rely on others to do you know everything it's it's always going to be a challenge we do we yeah there, there needs to be obviously a few pieces of those puzzles falling into place mm-hmm. i think you touched on industry uh government academia i think we all need to be seeing from the same song sheet um, so that we are moving in this direction if we look then say um, across borders and look internationally what countries then are leading in the digital twin space and what are they doing well is there anything that we could learn from them Good question. I think the UK had a their digital Britain strategy, which turned yep. into the national digital twin, was a fantastic platform. Yeah, industry, academia, uh, and government working together. Where it then it went into research mode. Okay. With a series of funding and to the, and what's happened is that the national digital twin program has now been completed from from their perspective, and it's now been looked to to actually being sort of re-energized into yep. through the Alan Turing Institute. So the UK had a, a leading position, but it, it, at the moment there's a bit of a, a policy vacuum. They're okay. in a, so they're now trying to work out what that means. They're actually moving away from more from less of a productivity discussion and more around in terms of sustainability, housing issue, affordability, inflation. Yep. So there's a lot of bigger issues that have overtaken productivity for them. And that's not to say it won't come back. Yeah, We're seeing really good, probably more from the UK, we're now seeing more from major projects like HS2, Highways England, some Houses of Parliament work. So you're starting to see these major pro- programs of work mm-hmm. and leadership from that. A lot of people talk about Singapore. That's a, a pretty tried and trusted uh, yes. in terms of, of the work. But it's the size of a postage stamp, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's e- it, it's easier to inv- and the, the yeah. type of structure they have from a government perspective. So they're leading. You're seeing the European countries, but really, I wouldn't say at the moment no one is. There's a it's real really okay. Yeah, every, there's pockets of excellence within each country. This is still there to be to be had from a global leadership mm. space. I would say that the UK previously was, but now it's, with their policy. Uh, place and they're sort of in hibernation that I wouldn't necessarily say that in terms of there is necessarily a leadership One, position. Yeah. It's more around that pockets of excellence, whether that's in US, whether it's in yeah. Canada, whether it's in uh, Asia or in, in, in Europe. So real opportunity for, for, for Australia here. And the, the so the, the paper that you that both of you have co-wrote, uh, co-authored on Digital Twin you mentioned that just when you're talking about global leadership, you mentioned that there we have an opportunity to be a global leader if the right conditions are there. This is more of a three-part question, so you can share it amongst yourselves. I'd like to, to answer it. But what are the right conditions? How do we create the right conditions? And where can standards play a role in, in that? So what we've got, we talked about previously around the fragmentation and, and yep. the tried and trusted three layers of government. What we need to do is is have more that national consistency and understand what the problem we're trying to solve from a national perspective. The state governments and territories are responsible for their own built natural environment. So they will need to develop their own strategy. What we need to do is to think about how do we have a consistency of approach to help support Commonwealth objectives and strategic objectives. We're seeing a national approach uh, or an action plan for AI, blockchain, other technologies. So 
we need to think about having that same sort of conditions in terms of to have that consistency. Infrastructure Australia called out in their their latest plan the need to share more data through jurisdictions. Right. So how digital twin can help support that? How can digital twin be conditions in the marketplace to help trade and investment? building up tech startups in terms of that we can export to the rest of the world. So we've got to start thinking about that less in that piecemeal position, but start thinking it as a national narrative yep. that we can actually export um, in terms of the, uh, the opportunities there. So I think that's for me, stop looking at it in an individual state by state base, yep. because there is, as we've written in the paper, there's huge opportunities there from an export position. So I don't know if you want to add to that, Adam. Yeah, I, I think if I go back to the concept of, you know, a marketplace, a digital twin marketplace, where there's healthy demand for those capabilities and, and on the supply side, you know, we can deliver. And then academia and the third sector are doing what they do best. If I think about that, there's more supply than demand okay. at the moment. Yep. So we need stronger signals from government, national government, that we value data, we want to light it up, and we want to use taxpayers' money in the best, most efficient way possible. And I think, I may get this wrong, Gavin, but correct me, but there was a moment in time where I think there was a UK politician that said something really, really powerful in around the idea of the digital built environment, which was if we embrace these concepts and technologies and approaches, we can buy two schools and get one free, right? Mm. That is really powerful. And Gavin mentioned some statistics that were mentioned at this industry event this morning in terms of lack of productivity and just the level of wastage. The simple fact that we got to add 25 to 35% fat on every project just because you know, stuff happens and goes wrong. It's just a wasteful, and I'm just talking about construction development mm, at the moment, yeah. but um, our, our, our ability to tighten that all, and it's all public money. Yeah. So I think national government needs to send a really strong signal and they're sending strong signals around cyber, record investments in that and other things. If we're serious about digital twin and if there is a goal that we want to aggregate those capabilities and bundle them up. We need some national leadership. We don't have that. We have state leadership, right? As Gavin mentioned, the states are taking a lead. There's some cities that are really standing mm -hmm. up and wanting to invest. So I think that leadership is critical. But to your point about standards, again, even if we had the best leadership possible, even if the private sector was fully trained and ready to go and had all the tools and technologies, what are we doing? What's the approach? Yep. Are we all going to do it the same way? You know, we're we going to do it. We're going to use X or Y or Z. Which one? So again, standards are, are the grease that you know oils the wheel that allows it to all happen and happen in a way that we can scale. So it's one of those at the moment, one of those issues and agendas that needs all the pieces in play. And standards, we can't leave standards to the end either, because even if we want to train, you know, the workforce and and do other things, what are we training them in? You know, yeah. is the standard. So, yeah. as I said, all paths lead to standards. <laughs> Without saying it, but I am. Yeah, before I add on the, the standards bit, it's really important for the national narrative. It, it can't be just industry saying, look, it's a good idea to have a national approach just for the sake of it because we think it's a good idea. 
the Commonwealth government has to relate back to in terms of what their own strategic objectives are, that national approach. Otherwise, it will just devolve that responsibility back to the states and territory. So we have to demonstrate in terms of what is the application of a national approach. Why is that important? Yep. And it needs to relate back to policy yep. in terms of from a Commonwealth government. Now, from a standards perspective, governments have two levers that they can pull, policy lever yep. or a procurement lever. The Commonwealth government, apart from your airports or museum in Ambrail, et cetera, mega projects, they don't necessarily procure stuff within the, 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 the built environment. So that's left, left down to. So standards can be a really good opportunity to streamline procurement, mm. make it consistent. Very difficult if you ask for X, Y, and Z or eggs, as I use a really good sample. So if you're going to ask for eggs in a contract, yep. do you want it scrambled? Do you want them poached? <laughs> do you want them sunny side up? <laughs> You've got to be able to prescriptive, yep. but you can't stifle innovation. So standards is, this is where I go back to technical standards and strategic yep. standards. And we need to be thinking about how do we provide consistent guidance to across the country to help our trade yep. and investment opportunities. Very difficult from a trade investment opportunities if you've got avocados, yep. bacon, mm. eggs, whatever, all around the country I'm being simplistic here, but yeah. we've got to really think about in terms of how that guidance can be developed mm. to help the nation as a whole yeah. and not to us to think of as Victoria, New South yeah. Wales, South Australia, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that's that's really the application. What is the problem we're trying to solve with these standards rather than saying, hey, we think this is a good idea. You should Let's, do it yeah, because that's not going to get any traction. And then in terms of with, with Standards Australia, what is Standards Australia doing to create those right conditions or su to support in creating those right conditions? Yeah, so we've established a technical committee we have had for some time, IT42, which looks at digital twin alongside Internet of Things. To date, the output of that committee has largely been around Internet of Things, and I think that's probably more a reflection of what ISO has or what the, the work program has been at, at ISO. Because IT42 as a committee is actually a mirror committee to the JTC1 subcommittee that looks at the same topic, Internet of Things and Digital Twin. However, there are two Digital Twin standards currently in development, and I think we're all seeing from the same hymn sheet if we say that uh, we will be adopting those standards. I think they're probably two really good documents to start that whole standards piece around you know, building standards and implementing standards for digital twin. So I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that there will be some documents, some standards in the digital twin space in the next 12 to 18 months. And looking then in terms of, you know, the next couple of years and what's up and coming, you mentioned that there's no global leader, there's nobody leading at the moment really in digital twin. Standards are there to support, to create that environment. What is the risk if we don't push forward and, and become a global leader and take that opportunity? What's both of your views, the, the biggest single risk? I don't know if you have the same opinion on what it might be, but... I think digital twin is an accelerator. So we're going to get by with or without digital twins. Australia okay. will do its thing. Yep. We'll casual business as usual, you know, work our way through it be the hallmarks of a global leader in the digital economy mm. come 10 years' time, I'm not too sure. Okay. 
I would imagine that we still pay attention to those global rankings and we're a very wealthy nation, healthy nation, educated nation. You know, we have some of the best conditions, livability conditions, you know, than, you know, many countries on the planet. If we can't take advantage and use this opportunity to accelerate, you know, economic, social and environmental opportunities in a globally digitally connected marketplace, that would be a really sad sort yep. of outcome. Yep. So we have the opportunity if 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 we want to take it. The way I answer that question is I, I think about triple bottom line. And I think in terms of we've got an evolving space in terms of we need to deliver infrastructure. We need to think about in terms of how we're going to pay for that. We're in an economically constrained we've got inflation, cost of living, perspective, sustainability carbon net zero um, narrative. So how are we going to deliver that in the future? We've got to think about smarter ways about how we do that. So yep. for me, as a father of three kids, mm. and I think about in terms of my the future generation, when I retire and I hand over to them, yep. I'm thinking really clearly about how can I make my kids' future a better place? Mm. And like Adam said, we will survive with, digital, with or without digital twin, yep. without IoT in terms of but we've got to do better than yep. what we're doing at the moment huge amounts of waste yeah can we afford to be carrying on the same approach um and, and th meeting our net zero targets so we've got to fundamentally think about how we are doing things at the moment and how digital data and tech can work together in concert to deliver that so for yep. me that's the real risk about how do we support future generations mm. we're seeing climate change in terms of the effects just in new zealand this this yep. week where they've had i think everything i think they've had a cyclone they've had earthquakes been horrific yeah and we've had floods fires here so we've got to think about how we can do things better for future generations yep. and thinking about that from an economic perspective uh, from a social perspective and from a sustainability perspective so for me that's that's really front and center in my mind yeah setting it up for future generations so we don't leave them in a, a lot worse space yep. than we are at the moment and I've got a couple of future generations in my household, two of them, my daughters, and they're more demanding than we were at that age. So the future generations are, are going to be more demanding and they're digital natives. I think that that alone is is cause for doing things differently. I get a sense that a lot of it is that we've just been lazy, we haven't innovated and we haven't changed our ways. Yeah. So it's not just a digital twin, let's do something differently, particularly in the built environment. Mm. One thing that Australia spends a lot of taxpayers' money on, which is mm. building stuff, mm. that is, and it employs a lot of people around the country. That sector alone is, you know, a, a really important part of our economy and people's yep. livelihoods. And we're, we're seeing, I think we're starting to see what happens if we don't just broadly innovate with procurement how we deal with risk and cost yep. and things like that. So I think there's a lot to lose on our watch if um, if if we don't, you know, at least have a really good crack at, you know, these transformation agendas like Digital Twin. That's a great way to end the conversation. <laughs> Thank you all very much for your time, and I really appreciate your insights. Thank no, you. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks, thanks guys. Cheers. 
I want to thank our guests for providing us with great insights into the world of standards and the need to adapt to ensure we remain relevant in areas such as critical and emerging technologies. Check out our show notes if you want to learn more about the role of standards in critical and emerging technologies and the standards development process. 